Welcome to the Youthscape podcast, the podcast for Christians who work with young people. And welcome to another edition of the Youthscape podcast, the weekly podcast at the moment, at least, where we talk about youth ministry. My name is Martin Saunders. With me, as always, Rachel Gardner. How are you, Rachel? I'm just realising that actually sometimes we are in a basement room where it is just literally you and me and producer Dave. Yeah. But today there is a hubbub in Youthscape. There so you might pick up noises of like little coffee shop sounds and door slamming because there's lots of people here today. We've fallen on hard times. We've opened a coffee shop. <laughs> I know. That'd be great. Could you imagine Youthscape opening a coffee shop? It would be amazing. Let's do that. Let's, Let's not do that. do that. Also with us in the room, um, just, just because he's here. And he's awesome. As you know, the uh, amazing production values on the Youthscape podcast are due to the work of producer Dave, who never, ever speaks. But he is, at the moment, actually doing some youth work in school. Such a slacker. I know. So uh, we've got tech support um, jo- joining us today. He's, uh, he, he looks a little bit like he's dressed like a stagehand. You no, know, for like a, I didn't agree with that. No, he does. I, he I looks like he's him, got to move a tree in the background. You look like, <laughs> I said, you look like a producer. And Martin took that moment to very quickly take the few rungs down. Looks like a roadie. Charles, look into my eyes. You look like a producer. You are the producer. It's very exciting. So, Charles, so lots Charles of is here that, as tech support. Yeah, and there's yeah. lots of other folks. Because actually, you can. You can come and use Youthscape HQ for your meetings. Do, yes. do people know this? Well, you do have to pay for it. You Otherwise, have to people pay for will. It. Yeah, you have to pay for it. But yeah, you yeah. Can, We but hire the building out, is that, what you That's mean. the language I'm trying to We're say. We're not making an offer to all Youthscape podcasts. Except you could come and visit us here and come and have a coffee and come and hang here for the day. People can do that without paying, can't How they? How much are the signed photos of Rachel Garden now? That's fine. That'll get you through. That'll get you into the into the parking lot. <laughs> That'll let you in. And then you can come in for a coffee. But all that to say, there might be some background noise. The sun is pouring through oh, the windows. I feel like I'm sat in a pool of glorious light. You're illuminated. Light. I am. You're in the shadows. You're very well lit. Says a lot about where this podcast episode is going today. Let's see. Let's okay. see. Um, we're going to be talking about events today, not Ooh. just not just the events that we run, although you should come to those. Mm-hmm. Let's just say that. Let's get out of the way now. Please come to our events. <laughs> um, but we're going to be talking about uh, events. Um, we've done this a few times, of course, but we should. We it's always fun to reflect on our own experience yes. taking young people on events. Yes. They are they're the sort of at the time, the most thankless task in the world, and always <laughs> oh, afterwards, you're just like, wow. you're feeling wonderful. About and then, it. and then there are events that you might run in your own setting, so it don't involve a minibus and consent forms. Well, consent forms, but we we recently purchased from Liverpool. Our lovely youth worker drove from Blackburn to Liverpool to buy a huge inflatable wiggly figure. So when when you you switch on the uh, the, the 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 air, whatever that's called, the fan, yeah, keep going. Whatever, the it, fan. It goes really 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 high and then these two long arms flap around and we are like training local teenagers on our estate that when the wiggly figure is moving, that means the drop in is open. Like we're tra- like So you've got one of those. We've got one of those and it it honestly, it works a complete treat. We just press the button the wiggly man he's honestly he has as how tall, tall is the wiggly man he is as tall as the top of the church before the spire so <gasps> think church of england church he's Gosh, that tall that is a tall wiggly man he is huge 
It's absolutely fantastic. So I feel like, although we're probably going to get into some very good, worthy conversation about this, is about the move of the Holy Spirit. Yes, 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 yes. But go to Liverpool and buy a big wiggly man. And honestly, young people will come flogging. Is that the answer? That is the answer. The, the, the long-awaited golden magic yes. bullet of youth ministry is thing. a gigantic wiggly man from Liverpool. And the great thing is that we have a new hall at our church with that's quite high to kind of mirror the church building. And we didn't tell the team that we'd got this wiggly man. Right. So we just put it outside at the front <laughs> so that when we switched right. it on, it basically rose up to the window where they all were and there just had this big wiggly man in their face it was terrifying that is it was scary extraordinary i don't it know what hilarious. to do with it it was so good ah! there wow. were screams people were like you know running from the building it was fantastic so yeah so that is the answer but in case there are other answers to yes. what is what is your experience can you think of like can can we can we start with something that that was good like something where you put on an event it at Rygate or as a yeah. youth worker not yeah, satellites yeah. now but where people came and it was like oh this was great oh, yeah exceeded expectations yes you got those yeah of course we did um we did silent disco oh right we do we do silent disco every year actually and uh and that that was an unexpected sort of the kids absolutely loved it and they invited their friends. Wow. That the magic formula in youth ministry. How do you get kids to invite, their, invite friends? their friends? Because ultimately they're a bit ashamed of you. Yeah, they can and tolerate so, you because they've So they known really you. want to bring their friends. Mm. But something about silent disco, it breaks through that, that wall mm -hmm. and they are prepared to bring their friends. And so we had, we had like 100 teenagers in this hall just sort of... And it's what's brilliant about, about Silent Disco, if you've ever run one, is you've got maybe three frequencies. Yes. You've got people playing different tunes and doing requests and stuff like that. But it means they're all dancing to different songs and they're all singing to different songs. So if you take your headphones off, it's hilarious because the hall is almost silent apart from the sound of shuffling shoes on the on the floor and kids kind of like not realising they're singing out That's loud. That's it, strange guttural noises. To it's odd, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, to noises. different things. It's brilliant. So if you want to hear that, book a, a silent disco for your church. So we did this years ago. We booked a silent disco. We we put it on. We, we bought, got a smoke machine and then we all got involved with the silent disco and didn't realise that the smoke machine had set the fire alarm off so the warden turns up because oh, no. the, the fire brigade have been called yes. and we are completely oblivious to this because yeah. we're all doing the silent disco. We, 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 had, uh, we, had the fire, we had the fire brigade out recently. Did you? What for? Uh, we had a bonfire. Last, 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 it wasn't bonfire night actually. So I think they probably, probably fire brigades have got used to the idea that there might be some fires on bonfire night. Mm. But, um, but it was about two or three weeks early and we had a bonfire and, uh, and they turned up. And of course, you know, I, I was going to say, you know, the girls start going, oh, it's firemen. It's not the girls. It's the, it's the volunteer leaders. That's who do that. So that was embarrassing. Brilliant. Neither of us have talked about young people meeting Jesus at these events. Oh, they do, though. They always do. They always do. Uh, and, and, you know, I remember like my, the calendar of my, my youth work year was set up around events, events you know. So we, we would have events kind of in the uh maybe around easter where we'd be inviting young people mm -hmm. to bring their friends and then we'd invite those young people to come and join us at soul survivor in the summer and then we might have after the event baptisms we'd have some follow-up alpha yes, course alpha, baptisms yeah. all that sort of stuff yeah. so so events are really good as a focal point in the year in one sense but they also shouldn't become too much of a focal point in the year. So how do we get that right then? Yeah. How do we do that? So is it okay? Is it okay? So when we say events, I'm thinking, are we right to think 
event is something where you put something on that's not your regular thing. Yeah, well, we're sort of conflating two things, aren't we? we? Are. So we're talking about summer festivals and we're talking about the big stuff events that we do ourselves. in our own program. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't say big events. I mean, it, you know, I've run big events that have been four kids have turned up. <laughs> yeah. You know, for some cupcakes. <laughs> so how how do we make sure that the events are not serving the purpose of making us feel like we're doing a good thing because yeah. young people are coming? Because we've got numbers. That's in. I mean, it's in there, and I think it's okay to ad- admit that. Yeah. We also want to be reaching large groups of young people because if we want to, you know, reach those outside of the church and begin to develop relationships and invite them to curiosity projects, you, you've got to be reaching yes. lots of young people. Yes. But how do we get that right? What, what's, what is your rule of thumb? You're right to name it. I know that if I'm feeling sad about the numbers of young people coming along in any just term, zero. I do. I just lie about them <laughs> and I feel much better. No, I, I put on a social. That's definitely like strat- strategically. That's what I do. But I think it's also because doing that does ignite a little bit of excitement and, yes. and reignites a bit of interest. Well, young people's minds and they are, come pr- back. are primed for novelty, aren't yes. they? So of course those, they're going to work, aren't they? That's why your big flappy man works. It, it, well, until he won't. I've got to go and find like the next What thing. if there's like a hole in the flappy man? Oh, that would be a desperate day, wouldn't it? It would be a desperate day for the kingdom. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you asked a question. I'm just skillfully avoiding it. What's the rule of thumb? I, oh. I think, I think well, you know when you're relying on it too heavily. Mm. So if you start to have a program that's all novelty, it's just like, please cut. You know, the whole problem, actually, with, that, we've, that we've diagnosed around youth ministry that serves moralistic therapeutic deism is that we try and make it entertaining to the point of like, please, will you just come next week? And please, will you come the week after? And please, just we, could we just have an hour and a half of your week? And we'll just we'll trim down the Bible just to a God yeah. slot. You know, we'll make it as easy for you to say yes to all the time. So once you realize you've drifted into that territory, you've definitely gone a bit wrong. Yes. But as a as a novelty way to re-engage young people, get them to bring their friends, I think it's very powerful to to hold a social or a, an event that's different to your usual programme. Yeah. And then you get into the summer thing. I mean, Robbie, our guest today, will talk about this. Oh, but, you know, the summer the summer festival has a special role to play, I think, in our yes. programme. Pilgrimage, I think, is an important idea, isn't it? And not all the events we run... I think I think a good rule of thumb is to think: Are there events that we're running that don't have the wow entertainment factor deliberately? So here's one event that we're looking to put on: walking from Blackburn Cathedral to Warley Abbey, which is like our beautiful um, it's just a beautiful monastic space in the middle of of, of Lancashire. We're going to do it overnight, so there is a novelty factor, but it's definitely paired back from there's no free food kind of vibes. It is just we are going to walk on pilgrimage. So I think maybe looking at your calendar of events, um, but. One of the things I wanted to ask you, and I, I don't know whether you, gentle listener, have picked up on this and what you make of this, but but when Asbury Revival, the, the, the height of it, when we were seeing it all on social media, one of the big messages I kept hearing about it was people saying, look, this is not about names. This is not about um, particular people, particular worship leaders. It's not about a formula of an event that normally works. This is about a group of younger people hungry for Jesus. Yep. And we're just making space for that. Almost as if to say, this is the new formula. And I think I looked at that and went, oh, yes, in my gut, I agree. But also my experience on the ground is it doesn't just happen. No. Um, so wh- what do you what do you make of it? Yeah, where where is that taking you? Is it, is it on your radar at well, all? Well, you're asking me in a, a question that speaks directly into what I'm doing at the moment, which is planning the the program for a, a summer festival. Um, and I think 
there's we've got to accept there is no there's there's no real christian celebrity subculture for young people anymore there was actually 20 25 years ago there were some celeb christian celebrities that young people identified with gosh i'm glad we've moved on from that but there were that that age is over young, you know young people are not coming to these events because x or y is speaking they don't, no, you know, they don't even, know who they are. Even that Rachel Gardner no, 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 exactly. is speaking. No one knows who you know, they're not, that people don't know. You know, we had Andy Croft speak at, um, at Satellites in the summer. He was brilliant. Yes. But most of the kids in that room didn't know who Andy Croft was because we'd had COVID and we, you know, there hadn't been to, a lot of yes, the younger ones absolutely. hadn't been to Soul Survivor. Yeah. And I think we have got, you know, every year that gets more and more pronounced to the point that I think now, you know, a speaker lineup is really for the benefit of the youth leader mm -hmm. who still knows who some of these people are and will be interested to see who we've got and what they're bringing. Not for the young people. The young people have, have no interest. They are interested once they rock up on site and they hear what these people have to say. So, so the young people will care if we've got good communicators who speak their language, who listen, who understand them, who are authentic, who are funny, mm. who seem to actually have something worth listening to and have probably read their Bibles. You know, I think all of those things matter to a um, to a young person but not their big name names mm. names don't mean anything so it's i think we have to get that balance right because young people still want to respect feel a sense of feel a sense of authenticity and authority coming from that stage if they're going to sit and listen to a, a teacher and it is right for them to sit and listen to a teacher i think that is a good thing yeah but they don't really care that they've got a book out mm. so so as you're planning something like satellites or a, an event locally or me an event mm. locally recognizing all of those different factors what what holds you to hold all that lightly does that make sense if you're saying actually I, I want to have the right the, I want to put in front of these incredible young people voices that are going to take that responsibility seriously yeah. and going to be good and kind even if they are challenging and convicting how how do you balance that because maybe yeah. have there been times where you've wanted to put in front of 2,000 5,000 young people a speaker that you think they, they would be right, but actually I, I need to get somebody else to get the youth leaders to get them there. Like if if you if the youth leader wasn't the gatekeeper of this space, would you just have a load of speakers up there that no one's heard of? Like, yeah. honestly, no, would you? probably not. Like I actually think, and, and I've been planning conference lineups for years, years and years here, and years. Yeah. Um, I think I've often been quite lazy in that I've known this person here is hilarious and a great teacher and does this all the time. He's got five big talks that he do, he sort of takes around the place internationally and uh, and they're all brilliant. So we'll just ask them to do one of those. And so I think there is a sort of lazy a lazy way through conference planning which is we know these people are good therefore we'll have them. That that the problem with that is it doesn't bring through a new no, generation new because voices. you just have the yeah. same people speaking yeah. on on platforms year after year after year. The harder way and the thing that we're trying to, I have an amazing program kind of deputy called Tabby Wallington, who is working, basically spends her life uh, watching talks on YouTube and, and trying to what find, yeah, yeah, trying to find like the net, the yeah, emerging generation yeah. of speakers. Um, but I think what we're now working really hard on is is listening to as many voices as we, as we can and trying to find brilliant communicators who've got something to say, who speak young people's language, who really care about young people. Um, and and if, I, if I can, we'll put eight, nine completely unknown speakers on the, the platform. And I, I hope that youth workers will trust us yes. that we will have oh, done the work. You regularly do put new voices up, don't you, on different events. I've, I've really seen that. Can I just ask you a question? I know we're about to get stuck into this amazing interview with Robbie. Love Robbie. 
Robbie's amazing. He's such a, a strong presence, isn't he? He's a giant he's flappy a, yeah. man. No, he's not. No, he's flappy. not flappy. Not flappy. That's he the thing. Flap. He does not flap. That's the whole point. But but let's think. I'm I'm in my local setting, so I'm I'm running an event for teenage girl, girls aged ten to fifteen. Yep. I've just called it very boringly the girl gathering, and we're hoping that it's become something a bit more. So and I'm thinking, who are the little people, speakers that can do little sort of TED talk type things? And, yeah. And the pool that I can draw from is quite small, but they are amazing. And I'm looking to raise up slightly older teenage girls. And what what would be your little bit of wisdom and advice to us as youth leaders thinking of running a local event? We we don't have budgets to get lots of big speakers. We don't know big speakers to invite them yeah. in, and we want to raise up local voices. Yes. What are we looking for? Because we want our events to be good. Yeah. Of we course don't want we do. someone just to externally process in front of young people <laughs> no um well apart from the obvious thing which is get them to bring a puppy Puppies that's the that's the first thing i think i think you what you're going to have to do is start slightly further upstream and we're going to have to invest in the mentoring and developing of young speakers if, if we want to be seriously mm. doing this now that doesn't that maybe doesn't help you but but just to say I think what we've got to stop doing is mentoring people into the traditional formula of communication. Like I'm starting to think this yeah. at the moment. Like I, I, I watch preachers trying to be the preachers they've seen, oh, but the preachers goodness. they've seen were already out of date. Yes. They were already communicating to an older generation and in, in a different culture and a different world. I think we need to be brave enough to say to young people, if you were receiving a message, if you were listening to a story, how would you actually want it to be communicated? And I think we need to brace ourselves for different kinds of communication that look more like, dare I say it, scrolling through TikTok. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I saw, I mean, it was, it was actually to mention it again, Andy Croft did a fabulous talk at Satellites, but the first two or three minutes of his talk fantastic. must have taken hours yes, and hours to create very clever because he was talking and on the screen this kind of this live conversation live conversation was happening, was happening, was happening on text message yeah. but it did look a bit like someone scrolling through so it was multimedia it, there was all sorts going on he was jumping all over the place and for those two or three minutes i thought gosh this is this might be what communication has to look like in the yes, future yes yes to make Excellent. sense not 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 to entertain those young people but if you are born into a generation that communicates in such a way that attention spans are so much shorter and and actually the brain works by multitasking information we might need to start creating presentation styles that work like that so i'm not suggesting we're doing that this summer but but i think if just to sort of go back to your question we don't need to find someone who looks like the great communicator of 1985 or the person they mentored who's been speaking since 2005 you know, we actually need somebody who's going to be the voice of 2025. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, that didn't answer your question. But it's very helpful. And it leads us beautifully to Robbie. So Robbie Thompson, who is the man behind the myth, Martin Saunders. <laughs> the man behind I don't, I don't, the myth. I mean, basically, I want to give Robbie a really good building up yeah. introduction, but I'm I'm really flailing around like the wobbly like man. Like the flappy man. Like the flappy man. Martin, who is Robbie? Tell us about him. Robbie is the reason that Robbie events happen. Events happen. Stop doing Stop that. Singing, sorry. He was my right hand man all the way through satellites and uh, basically makes the thing actually take place. So he takes like an idea 
and he makes it happen. But he also is a deep thinker. He's a great communicator. He's a great writer. Um, frequently undersells himself, and he has lots to say. So and lots of pairs of shorts. Doesn't he, own any trousers. He doesn't wear trousers, but that won't come across in this interview. He's the non-flappy man. Youth workers often tell us they're starved, really meaty stuff, where you get to think not just about what you're going to do next week in your youth group, when you have a chance to explore the why. What are the big challenges in culture and how do we in the church respond? If we don't think about that stuff, we're in danger of just repeating the same old material, but with less impact as young people's world changes. And that's why five years ago, Youthscape teamed up with St. Melitus College to launch the Youthscape St. Melitus Annual Lecture. It's a free evening event where you'll get the deepest and latest thinking about young people and youth work. On the evening of May the 15th this year, we're holding the 2023 lecture. And guess what? You're invited to come in person to St. Melitus College in London or to listen online all for free. Chloe Combi is one of the UK's most admired broadcasters after her award-winning podcast released during lockdown, You Don't Know Me, in which she interviews young people about the issues that matter most to them. Their startlingly honest words about everything from gender to education challenged our assumptions about teenagers and what they really believe. In this year's lecture on May the 15th, Chloe will be sharing her latest findings alongside Chris Russell. We'll be exploring their implications for Christian youth ministry. It's your chance to get some really deep insights that take you beyond what game to run next week and help you to step back and see the bigger trends emerging. So there are two ways you can attend and both need you to register in advance on the Youthscape website. If you come in person to St. Melitus College, you'll get a glass of wine, a goodie bag and a free download of the lecture audio and video to be able to listen again afterwards. If you can't get to London, you can listen online, but you'll also need to register in advance at youthscape.co.uk forward slash lecture. That's youthscape.co.uk forward slash lecture. Tickets are available now to take your chance to get some really meaty thinking about young people and youth work. Unless you're a vegetarian. In which case you'll get some meat-free corn thinking. Does that work? I'm not really sure. Anyway, see you guys on the 15th. Robbie, I've just noticed that disappointingly you're not wearing shorts no i'm now wearing trousers why are you wearing trousers today um because i was told i had to wear something <laughs> um uh, no just just i i didn't have any clean shorts ah well that's solved that little conundrum yes um welcome to the youthscape podcast first time first time yeah. although long time listener i, I long time listener first time participant yeah but uh I, I i'm really excited that you're on to talk about events mm -hmm. we're going to talk not just about satellites we're going to talk about all sorts of other things you've been involved in events for years and years and you were really involved in soul survivor so i'm sure we'll talk a, a bit about that but um you're you're married into youth work as well aren't you so you're involved in youth work in a number of ways so just uh tell us about what your your wife does yeah so um i'm married to susie uh, Susie heads up an organization called Wickham, which stands for West Cambridge Christian Youth Ministries, and is an organization based, fun, funnily enough, to the west of Cambridge. Um, and it works with churches providing youth work across the whole area. So it works, it's, works with Anglican churches, with, um, with Baptist churches, evangelical churches, does lots of work with um, local colleges and schools, and is really sort of fundamental to the youth work life in the churches to the west of Cambridge. So Susie's been doing that for years and she's been doing that since we've 
be married, which is uh, coming up to 12 years this year. And so that's meant you've also got involved in youth work. So you've done youth groups and, and I think you've been doing youth, even this weekend, you've been doing some youth work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so every so often I'd sort of get, um, it started off that when Susan and I got married, she was needing someone to come and do some cooking at the weekend away and I love cooking. And so we went and did that. And then when we had kids, it meant that I probably didn't get in, as involved as much. Um, but yeah, so sort of always been involved in youth work, whether that's helping out, leading sessions at church on a Sunday morning, um, or being involved in sort of events here and there. It's um, it's always been a big part of what we've done and what I've done since we've sort of been together, really. Yeah, because when we first started talking about satellites, I mean, it became apparent very early on that you're not just an events person. Like specifically, you are particularly passionate about events for young people, right? Yeah, I, I think, and I think that's sort of my. Um, so I I got into the world of events in a at actually quite a young age. I was sort of early twenties, and so I wasn't actually that far removed from. And that was with Soul Survivors. That was that was almost running events for young people who weren't that much older than I was at the time that I was doing that. And so I've always had this connection with um, with what the reason that we're trying to do these events has always felt a bit more close to the home than if I'd started this the age I am now. You're that much further removed from the the age group that you're trying to organise for. So um, so yeah. So it's always been a um, I've al- al- always cared about the why more than more than just sort of the what we're trying to do with it yeah um so yeah it's always been sort of a big part of my thinking really and you started off at soul survivor mm. so what what was your you weren't actually in event management to start with were you what was your sort no. of pathway through soul survivor to end up actually kind of running the thing no so i mean it's it was uh so i um yeah so i started in it was actually 2009 i um i was going out with susie at the time and Susie invited me to, um, I was living in Newcastle and Susie said, do you want to come down to um, this event that's happening down in Somerset? And it was momentum. It was the the sort of young adult event coming after Soul Survivor. And I went down and went down for two days and, and, and really enjoyed it. I'd never heard anything about Soul Survivor wow. in my entire life before then. Never heard about anyone involved. I just, I, I grew up in a Methodist church in the Northeast of England. It just wasn't a thing that we, we sort of did. Um, and so then I was looking around on the website when I got home and saw that they were advertising for a production apprentice. Um, and at the time I had a, I had a place at Newcastle university and I really just instantly at the time thought I need to apply for this job. So I applied. And as soon as I applied, I canceled my place at university. Wow! So I hadn't even heard back from, from soul survivor. I just, I think there was just something about it that made me think this is absolutely something I want to do. And so I got an interview and came down for the interview and that was in the October. And then I found out that I got the job and I moved down to Watford in January. So January, 2010, I was on a nine, 10 month contract and um, was a production apprentice working with some fantastic people. Um, in Soul Survivor had a fantastic staff team throughout the years that it was running. But I think the time that I joined, I was really, really blessed to be working with some fantastic people who almost took me knowing nothing about events and really sort of giving me all the information that I needed in order to do that summer well. We then, I then got a permanent contract off the back of that. And then to be honest, just every so often just was given the opportunity with Soul Survivor to move into the next thing. And mm-hmm. and that involved ultimately when I left in early 2017, 
Um, so I was there for seven years in total. And when I left, I left in the position of event manager, which was fantastic. It was brilliant to be across all of the events and the way that we ran them. Um, <clears throat> but it was, I mean, to be honest, it, it it's, yeah, I think I think actually what Soul Survivor benefited from was that fantastic team of mm. which I was a part. But there were there were so many other people that were were just fantastic at what they did that made what I did so much easier. You're very good at this. I mean, you do this here. You're always like, but it's all the other people. It's all the other. I just stand around and watch all the other people do the work. But of course, you do. You do do the work as well. Yeah, but but I think but I think it is a. It is a thing of one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given when it comes to running events. And this is counter to the worst piece of advice I was ever given. And I'm and I can say it's the worst piece of advice I've ever been given because it was my dad who gave me the advice. Okay. And my dad basically, when I went into any job, he sort of said, make yourself indispensable. Mm. And at the time I thought that's brilliant advice because then I'll never get sacked and I can never mm. leave. Mm. Um, and it was the worst piece of advice I ever had because the, your job is not to make yourself indispensable because then you make the whole thing about you. Mm. Your motive is how does this best serve me? Mm. And the best piece of advice that I've ever had is from a fr really good friend of mine who said, hold everything lightly. Mm. And so you hold everything lightly. It doesn't mean that you don't care about it. What it means is you hold it lightly because it's not your thing. It's not like Soul Survivor was not my event. Like any event I've ever done is not my event. I'm a steward and a caretaker of it whilst I'm there, but it's someone's job at some point to tell me that that's not my thing to look after anymore. Mm. And if I hold it too tightly, I, it either kills me when it's taken away from me or I kill the thing because I'm holding it too tightly. Wow. And so it is that, that thing of I hold everything lightly in the sense of it's not me that does this. There's a whole team of people involved in doing anything. And it's, I think it's, when you get into the thing of bigging up or talking about the way that you do things yourself, then I think you can fall into the trap of actually thinking, this is actually all about me. You couldn't, you couldn't run this without me. Mm. When actually, I mean, and people have been very kind over the years to sort of say that the way that I've been involved in something has really helped a project develop or enhanced it or whatever. And that's really kind. But ultimately there are dozens hundreds of other people who could do exactly what I do I'm just in that place at that time and so happen to be the person that is doing that so you're sort of trying to make yourself whatever the opposite of indispensable dispensable essentially yeah. you're trying to work yourself in a position where if you left tomorrow the event would just continue yeah absolutely 100% because it's it's that thing of like if there is an issue where I am not where I need to be at that time, mm. the whole event cannot stop because I'm not there. Mm. Someone needs to pick it up and someone needs to run with it. Um, and so you you deliberately make the thing not about you. Mm. But also I, I've always been in a position of wanting to say to the people that I'm employed by, at any point, if ever you feel that I'm not the person to be running this, you need to have the ultimate flexibility to tell me that. I feel so, like, are we having this conversation yeah, right now? Because yeah. because I don't want you to go. <laughs> but ultimately, it is that thing of of someone needs to, an organization, it's not my thing. Yeah. Like any event that I'm a part of is bigger than me. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And, and, so, and we, so we're talking about events, but really we're not talking about events. No. We're talking about anything. Yeah, yeah. Anything that you do. Absolutely. And I think, and I think you need to, 
and and I get that why that's difficult for people because actually when people have love the thing that they're involved with they can't seem to think about what about not being involved in that mm. and I think it comes back to what I said earlier that idea of why I love being involved in what I'm involved in it's not because I love what I what it does but I love what it ultimately achieves mm. and so I'm not so fixated on what I do because it's it's not about what I do it's about why I do it and and so very much when I'm thinking about running an event or what we need to do for this I'm not thinking what do we need to do in this situation I'm thinking well, what are we trying to achieve because there are dozens of ways that we could do that mm. and so you, you get less fixated on the thing and more fixated on the outcome but we are let's let's talk about the the outcomes and the things in a second quick segue mm. what was the degree you turned you you what was the degree you were going to do and you turned down yeah so I was going to do combined studies so it was a, it was a basically where I could take three subjects and basically, I was going to do um, English literature, history, and ancient history. See, this is where I was going. You know, this is where I was going because yeah. I just want you to talk about history. Yeah. So, first of all, right, this is the most interesting thing I've ever heard about you. Tell me how, or describe to the listener, how you in your head picture time. How do you see time? Because you you love history and you love kind of knowing about every period of history. And so you've got like a lifelong project to like learn as much about history as you possibly can. And so how do you then see that in your head? Yeah, so I mean, this, it would be interesting to see where this works on a podcast. But yeah, the, I'm interested. The idea is that actually, if I close my eyes, I have sort of today as the present day is sort of right in front of me. Yeah. And then going down into like the left, like down towards the left in sort of a, almost a slide that goes down to the left is all of history. So you're, you're picturing that? Picturing history, and it goes all the way down. And if I was to sort of say, if 12 o'clock is at the, is it today, current day, I'd be saying that 1900 is at 11 o'clock. Okay. You got about 1600 at 10 o'clock, but it sort of spirals away from you almost. Okay. So the further back it goes, the more sort of thin the line gets. Okay. But then <clears throat> I'm really interested in parts of history that i know nothing about yes yeah, so you're trying to fill in the yeah. bits you don't know and in my head what i have is i have a bit of an indicator as to how much i know of this period of history so i will have uh there'll be sort of a bit of a glow about a certain period of history that i feel that i know well oh wow and then there's other bits that are really dim that i don't know well so what i will do is i will find periods of history and i will i will sit for I will sit for a while. So, so what I one of the things I love doing is I love buying books. Yeah, I don't read as many books as I buy, <laughs> yeah. but I will read about a certain subject until I feel like I've sort of got the knowledge the, that I the want. The Plantagenets to. has got brighter yeah, yeah, in your yeah. head. Yeah, and then I'll move on to the next period, and it could just be anything. It doesn't. There's no sort of logic between it. So oh. I moved from, let's say, I moved from, um, sort of the pre pre-Norman conquest of Britain, mm -hmm. um, sort of the late Saxon period. Yeah. And then I moved straight from there to Chernobyl. Right. And then I went from Chernobyl to JFK's assassination. And yeah. I went from JFK's assassination to the siege of Constantinople by the Ottomans. Yes. And then I went from the siege of Constantinople and the Ottomans to um, the battle, the siege of Troy. So what? What's amazing about this is you, there's lots of things that I find interesting about this. I hope I'm not the only one. No. Um, but but you you 
do go deep with this stuff, but you also try to learn it in such a way that you can then tell stories. So we sat in the pub for like an hour and you told me about the Ottoman Empire and 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 there was this big story that I'd never heard before about how people tried to take untakeable cities and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's not just that you kind of take on the information, but it's also this, I mean, have you got aspirations to teach or is it, no, are you going to use that in some way? I think the thing that I find most annoying and most frustrating is when people people reach for bits of history to try and explain what's happening at the minute mm. in a way that really is just quite it just doesn't work you mean like calling everything 1930s germany yeah i mean so that, that just it, it that just doesn't that just doesn't work no. and I, and i and that's not making any i think generally as a principle regardless of what's happened yeah in in the last period of time i think i think whatever whatever happens that's a really lazy because what you're doing is you're you're basically shoehorning anything that you don't like into one period of history that just happens to be the period of history that is the most synonymous with disaster and chaos in the last hundred years but also the bit that is taught most it really sort of diminishes other studies in history when actually everyone just refers to one period of history it's like it's like actually when you sort of it feels like what we're fed in schools is a is a is a diet of Tudors and Nazis. Yeah, and which is the title of my other podcast. <laughs> um, but it's it's that it's that sort of thing where actually you sort of think why don't we why don't we learn about other stuff? Yeah, but as a, as a side thing, it just makes you the most inter interesting person I know, which is you know which is fun. Oh, it means very, I can, I can always kind. ask you. Uh, I can always ask you what are you reading at the moment, and you'll. It was like this morning, you're telling me about Troy. We haven't got time for it. We haven't got time. But it was very interesting. Um, just listen to Robbie's other podcast. Uh, so let's get on to the, the subject in hand. We are looking at tough questions mm. for youth ministry in this season. And the question today is about big events. Mm. And in a minute, I would love us to talk about the sort of the, the, the tough question, which is um, how do you make sure you're not making these things into an idol, that they're not just the center of your youth ministry and there's nothing else apart from that holding it together. Um, but I want to start in a more positive place, which is mm. you've obviously given a lot of your life now to events and particularly youth events with Soul Survivor and now Satellites. So why are you passionate about them? Why do you think it's great for a youth group to take a, a, a bunch of young people away over the summer? Uh, I, th I think... I think possibly it, it comes down to the idea of of it. I think I think sometimes we can. I know that this was asked with a positive spin. So we're starting I, positive. We're starting positive, but I think actually there is a there is a lot to be said about. And this isn't just the case of of now. I think even when um, even when sort sort of soul survival was sort of in its in its prime. Um, and when I when I was there, definitely, I think towards the start of 2010, 2011, 2012, um, the wider picture of the church in the UK was that actually it was it it wasn't necessarily in a place of growth. I don't think the church has been in a place of growth for a while. And so, places like Soul Survivor, places uh, youth events, uh, places like satellites give they give young people an opportunity to come to somewhere that is that they are able to experience that able to see that there are young people who believe what they believe and they get what they get and it and it's and in some cases it might be that you come from a church where there are a handful of young people and sometimes it's difficult to 
um, you might you might be in a youth group where actually you don't have much in common with the other people that you're you're there with. And so I think actually to come to events and to be able to engage and meet and to have fun with other young people, I think one of the things that is a bit is almost a bit um, underappreciated about big events like like summer summer youth camps is is actually that groups will come from the same geographical area and spend time with each other. Yeah. And so they will, there'll be times like, I mean, so my wife's, my wife's youth group, um, Susie's youth group that comes, they, they will spend time with young people from other churches in the area that then strengthens the connections that they have when they go home post mm. the sort of summer camp. So I think it's, it's, it's an opportunity for young people to see that they're not the only ones who mm. believe what they believe. They're, they, they might be the only one in their class or they might be the only one in their school, but they're not the only one full stop. There are other young people out there who believe what they believe mm. and so it's a fantastic opportunity for them to to come and to meet and experience being with them and having fellowship with them and there's something that happens isn't there when you concentrate your focus for four or five days on on your faith which you as a young person you've got so many other things going on what other opportunities you get to do that there is something that happens where you you start to it's not indoctrination it's not brainwashing it's a, oh i've i've remembered how how much i love this how valuable it is how how i believe this you know you you get reminded of it in a deep way which then could launch you into the rest of your year yeah i mean if if you think for instance if you if you're a parent and you send your kid on a football camp for 5 days you would expect that they would come home and would know something a bit more about football than yeah. when they went in the first place. Yeah. And I think similarly with the summer camps, I think of why is it a, why would it be a problem that we that young people go and they learn something more about their faith or they learn something more about the Bible or they understand more about their place in the world with God at the center of it. It's like actually what does why oh, that's a natural thing to expect. And that's a natural thing that we should want for young people is that they go and they have three, four, five days where they are, where actually that is sort of what they're living and breathing for those five days. And you're right, it's not about how can we drum as much information into them, but it's about how can we create spaces and environments for them where they want to take on the information that is being presented to them mm -hmm. or where we give them the opportunity to pause, reflect, engage, listen to what God might be saying to them. It's And, and sometimes it's really hard to do that in an hour on a Sunday morning or an hour on a Wednesday night or whatever it is. So having this extended period means that actually you're making for those five days, it's sort of like that is the key focus that they've got. So we definitely were agreed it's a good thing. Of course we do. That's what we do for a living. Um, however, it it can be um, not maybe not counterproductive, but we can put too heavy an emphasis on the summer event as the um, the thing that's going to basically solve all the problems of youth engagement with church. Get a young person to a camp in the summer, and as long as it's good enough, they will they'll get enough kind of faith energy to see them through to the following August, where they'll get another top up, which is very dysfunctional. Hmm. How how do we how do we prevent that? How do we stop making an idol of of the youth event? Um, I, th I think one of the key ways to do it is to sort of demystify a lot of what, a, a lot of these events. I think, I think it is absolutely in the events <clears throat> interest in order to, uh, let, let's get, 
one thing straight. A lot of these events are have commercial angles to them in the sense of they are organizations, charities that employ people that need money in order to make these events run. Yep. So it is absolutely in their interest to make it a, a an appealing place for young people to come to. Mm-hmm. And so when you see advertising that is 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 slick and it looks nice and it's attractive it is it is absolutely encouraging people to to go to that event i think we need we need to recognize that that there is this sort of angle to it but i think it's demystifying it in the sense that actually every whether you're whether you're you or whether you're um mike and andy running soul survivor whether you're nikki and the gumballs running HTB or whatever that actually these are real people there's no magic silver bullet that anyone has in order to make make anything that anyone says over the summer work work for a young person throughout the entire year and see that that's a sustainable way to to view your faith that you come and have one experience and that sort of sees you through mm. i think one of the things that i loved about about um working with with soul survivors that mike would repeatedly make the point of saying the soul survivor is not there to replace or take the place of mm-hmm. the local church yeah. and that was absolutely 100% right to say because soul survivor was a was a staging point for young people's faith but it wasn't that you were saying to young people now this is your gathering this is your faith you ignore everything else and you just come to this and i think there is that thing of of actually there's something about the the idea of it being five days it's that thing of it's not the i don't mean this to sound harsh but it's not the job of an event to necessarily nurture and sustain a young person's faith throughout the year that's what churches are for that's what youth workers are for that's what their friends are for and the communities and families at home it's that and so i think there is a there's a very very sort of um there is an absolute need for these events but i think i think we do get into problems when we think that that we will go and suddenly that our faith will be sorted mm. and we only need to pop up again in 12 months time and sort of we'll get boosted back up to the the top again i yeah. sort of think about the um uh, events like this have, have, have often been referred to as things like mountaintop experiences yeah. um and you think about like it, in the gospels we read about the transfiguration and and you've got jesus goes up the um goes up the mountain peter goes with him a couple of others mm-hmm. but peter's at the top and suddenly there's this what what happens in the transfiguration yeah. happens and peter then says we should definitely build huts here or we should <laughs> yeah. definitely build tents here and i think what i've learned from peter is that i think it's throughout the gospels half the time that peter's mentioned he's either just about to do currently doing or has just done the wrong thing <laughs> Yeah. And Peter gets the whole thing wrong because Peter thinks this is the place that we have to stay. Yeah. And so he's like, how do we almost paraphrase in Peter's like, how do we bottle this experience? Yeah. How do we make sure we never have to leave here? And actually, Jesus, the first thing he does is Jesus goes down the mountain. The first thing he does is heals the demon possessed boy. Mm-hmm. You think actually there's there is work to do at the bottom of the mountain. Mm. And it's not this thing of how do we just stay here forever? It's actually what can we can go to these events? What can we learn? How can our faith be enhanced what can we what what new sorts of um i don't know prayer techniques can we take on what can we learn about ourselves that we can then take back into our churches 
But it's not the job of that five days to see you through the following year. No. It's actually the job of your church, your youth worker, your friends, your family, yourself, to build your faith throughout the year. Yes. Well, uh, to quote the great man, uh, one of the great Pilavarchisms over the years was, uh, you know, we're on the mountain, we're having a mountaintop experience, but nothing grows on a mountaintop. The growth happens in the valleys. But the implication was never that Soul Survivor would make that growth happen in the valleys. I think it's always been the local church and the local youth group where where those things happen. And mm. maybe, I, I, you know, I've done this as a youth worker, so I can say we we do do this as a group, as, as youth workers. You know, I've definitely looked at, at Soul Survivor or a summer event as the magic cure for all that is going to fix all the issues i've had a terrible you know term since easter it's been a nightmare you know we're, we're barely hanging on but if we get to the summer it'll fix everything and of course that's not true it's not that's not how it's supposed to be no no not at all and and i think it is the thing of of it's like if you go and watch i mean if you go and watch a premier league football match i, I can see where this is going okay if you go watch a premier league football match on a saturday yes I, well, yes we have an industrial bubble machine <laughs> yeah. but if you go watch a premier league football match on a saturday and if you then go and watch uh and you've got fifty thousand people there and you go to a sunday morning football match watching your kids play or watching your brother and sister play and there's 10 people there yeah the atmosphere is obviously going to be better at the stadium of 50,000 people. There's something different about that. You feel that you are, there's, there's a, there's a, there is something, you can't quite put your finger on why you feel so much better about that mm -hmm. than you do mm -hmm. about that on a Sunday morning. But actually you boil the whole thing down and it's still 22 people kicking a bit of leather around. Yeah. That the fundamentally is exactly the same. Yeah. And my son's team actually scored some goals. <laughs> but, it, but you know what I mean? It's that, it's that thing of actually you boil it down. And I think that's the thing where I think you take the, you take the, people out of it yeah, god really doesn't change through anything of that yeah. god doesn't change it's not like you're worshiping a different god at a summer camp that you are when you're at home on a on a sunday morning yeah god is exactly the same it's just our perception of that is different and we we attach a different value to this than we do to this hmm. we could have a speaker at a, at a summer event who puts 10 minutes of thought into what they're going to say and we could have a speaker on a sunday morning that puts a week's worth of thought into what they're going to say. Yeah. But we attach more value to of that course. because they're the speaker on the stage in front of 10,000 people yeah. than we do to the work that's being put in by a youth worker to prepare something for five young people on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And that is inherently messed up. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's really good. Well, it's really bad, but it's a really, um, really well explained. Um, last last question. So you're you're involved in satellites. You um, You've really been part of the sort of formation of the thing. You know, we are now at Southwest, um, uh, the Southwest Showground. Let me do that again. We're moving this summer to Bartholomew Showground in the Southwest. Uh, you know, really excited to see the, um, you know, because we get to see the sort of behind the scenes booking figures and all that sort of thing. feels like it's growing. Feedback's been great. People are really encouraged by it. Um, how could Soul Survivor, oh my gosh, I just call it Soul Survivor. And let's do that again. How could satellites get it? badly wrong go off the rails how how could you know from where we are so we've had a good first year i think our hearts in the right place you know we've got a good vision people are excited and they're coming along how could we blow it do you think um to think that any of this is down to us and think that any of this is down to satellites 
I think I think the the minute that we begin to attach our own attach our own amount of self-importance to it or our own thing of uh, patting ourselves on the back of how well haven't we done or look how well we've done and this sort of stuff I, I think I think going back to what I said earlier hold the whole thing lightly we you got to prepare for something with you got to prepare for something thinking that if God told you tomorrow to put it down you'd be absolutely happy to put it down and I think if you're not if if you're not in that position then think about how you get to that position because the moment you resist what you think God's saying in terms of putting it down, the moment you're saying, that's the moment you're saying, I think I know better than you. And I'm prepared to keep this going because look at how well I've done to get to this point. I think about Soul Survivor, I think about Soul Survivor ending. And I think Mike and Andy and the team, knowing the team at, at Soul Survivor and thinking the the bravery and the courage to have to say, this is the time we're going to put this down. Yeah. And Soul Survivor was in a place where Soul Survivor could have decided to do whatever it wanted to do. Yeah, of course. It could it have, very successful. Very successful. Could have gone every, anywhere it wanted to. But actually, at that point, very clearly hear God, heard God say, put this down. Mm-hmm. And so put it down. Mm-hmm. And I think we've all got to be in that position where we're, where we're listening to what God's saying to us. And again, it comes back to this thing of none of this is ours. This event isn't ours. We don't own it. We might be the ones who are here stewarding it for a while, but it's not ours. And the moment we hold it too tightly, the moment we're saying it is ours, and actually I'm not going to listen to what anyone says because I'm holding this tightly and I'm going to drag this over the line until we get it done. And actually it's not that's not for us to say. If God says put it down, put it down. And I think that's the way that any event, any event could come off the rails. Um, I mean, any event where we're actively seeking god in in these events i'm not saying glass and marie of god tell them to book that they're not, that's not gonna happen <laughs> but i think i think you look at these events and you actually think actually you have to be 100 percent obedient to what god's telling you to do yeah, yeah. and if he tells you to put it down you put it down the, the irony would be obviously if we stop putting god at the center of a festival that's about putting god at the center of your life yeah that would be how it would go wrong and sort of sort of be our own fault yeah yeah absolutely thanks robbie That's great. Oh, great, great interview. Was he wearing shorts? Did actually have some shorts in the summer. I know. But I got, do you know, I got back from satellites having worn these shorts all week. And my wife went, what are those? Those are horrific. Please tell me you never wore those on site. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> yeah. I just have like 5,000 witnesses. I've just lied to my wife. Um, I thought that was a powerful interview. And, and I think we just want to wrap up the end of this episode with a voice of a young person who's got you know the most beautiful insight into what happens when events happen where young people really encounter the Holy Spirit? Well, I, so I found this on Facebook. It was forwarded to me by the wonderful Dr. Lucy Moore, uh, who, who um, like me, had been watching the events in Asbury thinking, I don't, I don't know what to think about this because it's complicated. It's complicated. But I love this. This is from a student called Madison Pierce who was there and basically didn't post their thoughts on what was happening at the time and then afterwards has kind of like written a bit of a reflection. And I'll just very much edit what he writes. Um, But he says this, the movements of the spirit in Western evangelicalism always exist in the middle of a cultural moment. 
A generous interpretation of these movements reveals unique traits for each one. And then he goes through a list of different revivals and moments in America over the last hundred years or so where, you know, things like the Toronto Blessing, where they've, there's been a certain uh, set of traits that has marked them out. Um, then he says, in each move of the spirit, God clearly manifests in a specific way for that generation. I find it interesting that God would mark this outpouring with. And then he lists five ways that he sees um, that, that Asbury looked very specifically. Number one, a tangible sense of peace for a generation with unprecedented anxiety. Two, a restorative sense of belonging for a generation amidst an epidemic of loneliness. Three, an authentic hope for a generation marked by depression. Listen to this one. Number four, a leadership emphasizing protective humility in relationship with power for a generation deeply hurt by the abuse of religious power. Wow. And five, and there's a really hard word in this, a focus on participatory adoration for an age of digital distraction. It feels as if God is personally meeting young adults in ways meaningful to them. That's, a, I mean, I loved that. And it's made me think loads since. Yes. It's made me think about how we do youth work. It's made me think about satellites and how we plan that. But I guess it comes down to that old wineskins yes, thing. Like yeah. if we're praying for new wine, it's not just about doing things the same way we always mm -hmm. have. And, and one of the mistakes I think of Asbury has been people going, there you go. We were doing it all right all along. We were just waiting. We were just waiting for God to show up and now he has. Mm. See, this justifies everything we were always doing in the same ways. No, mm. like clearly from an eyewitness who went through the whole thing, th this was God meeting in a new way. Mm. And we have to have the ability to hold intention, you know, our relationship with the things that don't change and the need to do things a different way. So go well, friends. And as you ease yourself out of the episode, here is today's Unsung Hero. Hello, my name is Jamie. There's one story of unsung youth work that always sticks with me. And I didn't know about it until a few years later. Me and some friends who were in the youth group were round the house of our youth leaders, who were called Damien and Andrea. And um, we were kind of mucking around in their garden and they'd just got a brand new white carpet. And it turns out we basically ruined the carpet that they had had put in, I don't know, a couple of days before. I mean, you know, I would argue a white carpet and then inviting young people over was a bit of an error. But the, the reason the story sticks with me is because I didn't even realise that had happened until years and years later when we were talking as adults and as friends. And they just never thought to mention it at the time because the priority was creating a space where young people were welcome in their home and not feeling precious or worried about any of that stuff. And uh, in all the kind of big, exciting youth ministry stuff that um, Damien Andrew did for us, that's the story that years later I still remember. a focus on participatory particip let me do that one again and five a focus on post <laughs> puppies 
Just say it, puppies. Oh, it's a hard word. Robbie is the reason that Robbie events happen. Robbie is the reason uh, that events happen. He was my kind of right-hand man right all the way through man. satellites. Stop doing <laughs> Stop that. Stop singing, sorry. Cupcakes and chihuahuas. Doesn't really work. The ch, no, it doesn't work. doesn't work. Anyway, um, nerfs and nuggets. Like We could dine out. <laughs> yeah, nerfs. Actually, Dave's going to edit all of this No, out. he's not because no, this, he this is gold. This is gold. <laughs>